This week, I had the opportunity to have a fascinating discussion about auditory hallucinations, in particular, hearing voices. I did this in a conversation with Joanna Badcock, who is the adjunct professor at UWA School of Psychological Sciences, and also one of the founders of Perth Voice Hearing Clinic. Now, what becomes more and more apparent as we go further into this, is hearing voices is not quite what you think. Um, it's very subjective, and also, it's way more common than one might expect. Often, culturally, we link it with psychosis and bad things, but more and more, it, as, we as you find in this conversation, it's a naturally occurring human phenomenon. And one of the things we talk about in this is normalising the discussion around this. Now, I want to make a big caveat at this point, is that when we talk about normalising the discussion, it's normalising the fact that there's a spectrum of this, from, from sort of just hearing voices and stuff, all the way through to when they're causing distress and needing support. So that's the normalization that we talk about in this. We also take a look at the impact of loneliness and that's linked to psychosis. This is a fascinating conversation. And what we really deep dive into here is just holding space for the legitimacy of people's internal subjective experience. Joanna is super knowledgeable in this and you can really see how much research and thought she's put into this during her career. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy Joanna. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today I have the great pleasure of welcoming Joanna Badcock. Joanna, welcome to the show. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much. So for those of you, those who don't know Joe, you're a professor at UWA. I mean, I don't professor in the School of Psychological mean? Science. I don't means it's an honorary position. Right. Yeah. Superb. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is about the phenomenon of hearing voices. Because mm -hmm. um, you've also helped set up the Perth Voices Clinic as well. Oh, absolutely, yes. Definitely led by Georgie Paulick-White. So. Indeed. Yeah. So I guess the first question I have is, yeah. how did you get into people hearing voices? Well, as is often the case in research, a long and winding road. A long winding road. <laughs> um, it wasn't something that I had deliberately set out to investigate. It's, mm. it's often the case in research that you get onto a, a field of interest because of chance. Mm. The chance for me was that I was doing my professional training in Melbourne in clinical psychology and we needed to do a thesis. And so I was hunting around for a topic to work on and I hit on the area of people who are at risk for developing psychotic disorders, mm -hmm. which was not an area that I knew very much about, yep. but was really piqued my interest. And so that's where I began. Mm. And I started to do some work on how the visual system works in people who mm -hmm. are at risk of psychosis. Again, not something that most people would even think about, that your basic sensory functions might be relevant to a complex disorder like yes. psychosis. So many years evolved through all of that time. And rather than focusing on the, the complex psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, I started to go down the path of focusing on the individual symptoms which are involved in psychotic disorders. Right. Um, because there's been a lot of debate about whether schizophrenia is a single entity, for example, or whether it's actually a complex, what they call a heterogeneous disorder made up of lots and lots of different symptoms and no one really knows where the boundaries are. But mm. they often say it's got fuzzy boundaries. Yes. And for disorders like that that are really complex, it also makes chasing down what the causes of that disorder are all the more difficult. Right. And so a simpler way into understanding what's going on is to select one of the symptoms and just focus on that and say, mm. okay, what are the causes quite to... quite prevalent symptom. Uh, and yes, and, and hallucinations are, are one of the symptoms that are really common. And also 
capture media attention. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you get to hear about any report in the in the newspapers or on TV and so on about someone who has schizophrenia, almost always they'll be saying things like, "Oh, this person was hallucinating at the time." Mm. And yet we know, or at that time, twenty odd years ago. We knew very little really about what were the specific causes underlying those sorts of experiences and indeed what the experience was really like, you know, what, what is it to have an hallucination? Mm. And so, yeah, that, that really captured my interest then is mm. to try and really drill down into understanding what it's like to have that experience and what the phenomenon is mm. and what causes it. Phenomenon Obviously, being a key word here, Yeah, phenomenon it? with the key Because I did actually, before, in research of this, I did actually look up the word phenomenon. Mm -hmm. You know, with things, that, and, and there was sort of, in the definitions, it was um, very much around situations that are observed. Yes, that's right. It, it's about describing what the experience is like, both to observe the experience, but also what it's like the subjective experience yeah. of it. What's what's the lived-in experience, if you like, mm. of having hallucinations? And that's that was probably the big draw to want to talk to you today about finding this balance between um, what you know the sort of objective external world and mm -hmm. the internal subjective world. Yep. And and holding space for that and where that internal um, subjective world um, can either be a positive or a less than positive yeah. experience. Yeah. And then also I wanted to explore with you the, um, I guess, looking at it through another lens of whether it's a positive or less than positive experience, just how common it is versus... Mm -hmm. Yep. Not as common. Yeah. Um, we always used to think of hallucinations, and, and here I'm mostly talking about auditory hallucinations. So could you just define okay. what an hallucination actually <laughs> well, means, just over so crystal? I knew this. you'd say that, and I thought, should I go away and just, you know, have, have the um, definitions sort of clear yeah. in my mind for... But actually, I think the bigger point to get across is it's been incredibly difficult to come mm. down to a single... Um, definition of hallucinations that everyone will accept. Yeah. So that what you're talking about with an hallucination is it's a perceptual experience, although yeah. even a lot of people will stop there and say, actually, it's not just perceptual, but let's just begin with okay. that. So it's a perceptual experience that people have that isn't shared with someone else. Right. So it's a perception of something that is occurring without the corresponding external stimulus. Right. When, we, when we hear the car going down the street, we perceive that sound and there is a corresponding external stimulus, i.e. Mm. there is a car currently going down the street. So there's the, there's the co-arising of, of two things. That's the right. The internal experience yep. and the external perception. That's right. Um, which we then obviously draw the correlation. That's exactly right. Two. And in the case of hallucinations, you have that perception of something happening, but there is no matching external stimulus that has caused it. So what you're getting is it's, it's an intrusive kind of experience in that it's happening now. Yep. It has the characteristic of something that is real. I mean, we do basically believe our yeah. senses so, so it has undeniable. a it, it it feels to you as if it is a real experience but if you ask someone else they wouldn't be able to share in that experience because for them it's not happening mm. it's generally something that's happening beyond your control although again people will argue some people will say they can actually bring their hallucinations on in a quite deliberate way right so there are many, many elements to this phenomenon of yeah. what an hallucination is, which has meant that um, defining it has been quite difficult 
com coming down to a single unique definition that everyone will agree on, because for each of those phenomenal aspects, people will debate. So let's go back to the start. I said it was a perceptual experience, but many people will say, actually, it's not just a perceptual experience. For me, it's more like a thought kind of experience, mm. which is a little bit removed from a perception. For some people, as I've said, it's quite a, it's got a strong sense of reality, whereas for others, they do have some insight into it not being real. I've said that the definition typically means it's something that's beyond your control, and yet for others, there does seem to be an element of control. Right. So, <laughs> the, these, are, these are very hard phenomena to really ha wrap your head around if you haven't had that experience yourself. Mm. They are, however, really surprisingly common. So there you go. And You've not had it yourself. I know. But I know. And that's, that, that touches on the issue of stigma. There's a lot of stigma around these experiences, largely because hallucinations have been mostly linked to psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, yep. which itself carries a lot of stigma. stigma. And so yeah. people tend not to want to talk about having had an hallucination because, for want of a better description, they're going to think, this other person's going to think I've gone mad because I've had this hallucination. And so people just don't talk about it. And they certainly don't talk about it if they have an hallucination and actually it doesn't really cause them very much distress. So if yeah. they're having this experience and they think, oh, that's kind of, Curious. I wonder what that one's all about. Curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they integrate it into their sense of who they are. They just happen to have these experiences, but it's it's not something that they find distressing, upsetting, challenging. It doesn't interfere with their daily mm. life, and so they just have them, and they don't talk to anyone about them. They just assume that other people have them and don't talk about them too, which is also interesting. Yes, it becomes this real little fenced-in thing. Yeah. Isn't it? So when you start to dig deeper into it, and there's been a lot of research in this area now for the last 20 years, what's become increasingly obvious is, A, for a start, hallucinations are not just something that occur in people with psychotic disorders. They right. occur in lots of other disorders. Mm -hmm. They occur in people with Parkinson's disease. They occur in people with Alzheimer's disease. Um, they occur in people with depression and anxiety. Mm post-traumatic stress disorder, borderline personality disorder. They're really all over the shop. So they're not just specific to yeah. psychotic disorders. Right. What also blows most people's minds, though, is that they are, in fact, surprisingly common yeah. in otherwise healthy individuals in the general community with no diagnosable disorder at all. Yeah. So they're out there <laughs> so they're in out. all this fantastic variation and, and variety. So that, there's a trail of thought there, <laughs> right? Yeah. If I follow it then, yeah. which is you've dialed back from psychotic to regular sort of mental, emotional illness, mm -hmm. unwell-being, yep. whatever. And then you've dialed back even further to kind of happens kind of regular for most everyday people. Yeah. Because when you were sort of saying, you know, it's, it's not just in psychotic, it can also be, you know, depressed, anxious. Like, well, given how many people are registering depressed and anxiety at some level of shape or form, that's mm -hmm. a lot of the population. Yeah. And then you dial back even further. Yeah. So if you dial forwards then, yep. back again, having come back to even regular dudes are having this and go forward, then, is psychosis really a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I probably wouldn't go down that path so much as no, to say... but you can see what, where... Yeah, I can see where you're going, but I think the, it, the issue that's probably more important for my take is that for, for, pe for people to think about those experiences is that they are probably, to some degree, a natural part of our circuitry, our brain yeah. and our physiology and also our world, you know, our social environment. And we need to think about the circumstances where they bring you to the point where you do need help. 
Right, yeah. So there are considerable differences yeah. between people who have hallucinations in the general community and those who are, if you, for want of a better description, help-seeking. Because yeah. hallucinations in the group who are help-seeking, regardless of what other diagnosis they have yeah. or not, they're having hallucinations that do cause them distress and upset. And typically they're having them more often, more frequently, mm -hmm. and for longer periods of time. Yeah. So when you have that kind of trio of picture mm. as well, the content might be upsetting or just their very presence might be upsetting and intrusive and they're persistent, they start yeah. to interfere with your daily life and then people do yeah. and should feel confident to seek help because there are solutions to help you manage having those sorts of experiences, which is hence, that's where the clinic came yes. about because the clinic is for people with distressing hallucinations, mostly auditory, but we take anyone with any unusual experience in any sensory system, so it might be visual or touch or whatever um, but it's for people who are having distressing hallucinations yeah. and there are psychological interventions that you can use and if you happen to be on other kinds of medication for example because of other background factors that's fine but there are psychological approaches that you can use to help manage that that experience mm. because as I was thinking about this beforehand thinking of because I suspected that this is where we would go in the fact that it, it, it's more regular than we uh, yeah. anticipate. Yeah. Then um, part of me started to consider the full range of this. So, yeah. and we'll dive into one of the more positive, regular, everyday thing in a minute. But if we stay with what probably is the focus of the clinic, you know, it, it didn't take me long to realize, well, you know, without seeming like quite blunt, if the voice is saying, you know, cut your arm or, yep. or, beat up your wife or, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, burn the house down or something mm. like that. That's not really very cool and you need some help. No, it's not. And they're often of that form, um, perhaps more along the lines of, you know, you're a crap person or, you know, yeah. you're really horrible or you know nothing, you know, very, very derogatory comments about the person having those experiences. And, you know, if you doesn't, doesn't take great mind to really think if you're experiencing that a lot and it's really drilling into your head all the day mm. that you're having those sorts of thoughts that would be really very difficult to manage so you've used the word thoughts there mm -hmm. is is there a difference between actually hearing hearing a voice almost like i'm trying to get Trying yeah. to get some sort of understanding and you're smiling yeah, already. Yeah. So is it like a voice that's not your voice? It's always like a different voice. Yeah. Or is it thoughts? Or uh, I mean, I'm sure there's the full yeah, camera, look, but the, it's just to get a feel for this. Yeah, look, there's... there's if anybody's listening to this right now, they're going to go... They could be sitting there going, well, I have negative thoughts. Yeah. Far out. What's happening now? Yeah, that's right. So forgive me because you know i always backtrack and say mm -hmm. that it, it's the complexity of the issue right that's yeah. just the nature of this particular beast the content of the things that people hear in the form of an hallucination is usually something that they recognize as it's not belonging to yourself so people with halluc hallucinations can distinguish between their own internal self-talk if you like which mm. well I certainly have I presume everyone else has um, so they can distinguish between oh this is just you know my self thoughts my self reflection on life versus what's happening when they're having an hallucination right and the descriptions that often come with that are because the identity of the hallucination is perceived to be different from their own right um, and it's not typically something that they have kind of requested to happen or have been deliberately musing on it's mm. so in that sense it's intrusive and happening on top of their regular self-talk if you see what I'm yes yeah yeah so so they can and do routinely distinguish between this is my own mentation my own inner thoughts versus no this is 
my hallucination and this hallucination is I hear this voice of this old guy and you know he's swearing at me yet again or it doesn't have to be a recognizable voice but it it's often got certain characteristics like it might be um, a voice of an older male or it might be the voice of a child so you know so you might not be able to name the perception the hallucination might not have a perception of say it's my mum you know yeah. so specific identity but it will have characteristics of an external person mm. that helps to make it different from you know if I'm thinking to myself then it's roughly in you know it's got some agency of me attached to it so mm. I know it's this female voice in my head talking to me it's me I'm I'm the agent of my self-talk. Yes. Yes. I'm going to throw another spanner in the works, though, just to show oh. you the variety of all of this. So some people will have auditory hallucinations that are not based on language at all. So they will have hallucinations. I remember there was a case um, that I came across of a client from Greylands Hospital in a research project there, and they were constantly hearing the sound of a train going by and doing it's an old-fashioned steam train and they were hearing the poop poop kind of yeah. <laughs> that where there is no conceivable way that you know there was no radio playing mm. there is no local train that they could be hearing people do hear the whole gamut of environmental sounds they might hear um, waterfalls playing they might hear engines all sorts of things so it's not always the case that an hallucination in terms of its content mm. involves the perception that someone is talking to you yes it can include all these other things as well so when somebody presents and you're going to work with them mm. and look obviously we're working on the assumption that they've turned up because it's distressing mm -hmm. we'll just keep it as yep. basic as that yeah what is the underlying philosophy to the approach of the work that you're going to do with them? Is it, is it to reduce? Is it to put it in its place? Is it to understand? Is, is it to put some meaning around? Is it to... Do you see what I mean? Yeah, look, the, the key there is to ask the client, what is their goal? And often when you're talking to clients, they don't necessarily actually want to get rid of, right. if we just talk about voices, hearing voices, they don't necessarily want to get rid of hearing their voices. Mm. They want to be able to change the nature of the relationship they have right. with their voice. And they might want to change the meaning that they ascribe to the voice. And they want to feel better about themselves in mm. this relationship. Yeah. but not necessarily to get rid of the experience altogether. Right. And in fact, for some people, they say that they really quite like the sense of companionship I was going to say the company, yeah. that, that voices provide in their daily life, right. if only they could change the nature of this experience. So it's about, it's about understanding how people relate to the voice and about mm. how they're interpreting the meaning and significance of the voice and then learning behavioural strategies and ways to change those interpretations to make it a more um, positive or at least manageable experience. Hmm. So could part of that be actually engaging with the voice? Mm. Yeah. But it's all, it is also about changing how you think about that experience mm. as well yeah so you almost objectify a subjective opinion uh, experience yeah that that's certainly an element of it yeah mm. yeah so these these you know that you will never get the same experience no. over and over you know it because it's it's unique to that well, person across clients. Yeah, across yeah, because yeah. yeah, every client's journey it's such to, an internal to, subjective. Yeah, it's so subjective in the first place, and the factors driving the experience are all unique and individual. So the story is different every time. Although some of the strategies that you can learn to handle them, mm. 
there, there's some commonalities there about, about that. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, they're just, you know, the endless variety is, is the key to understanding mm. just what a phenomenal thing these experiences are. Mm. I mean, if you, if, you, if you change your mindset away, for example, from people with psychotic disorders and think about experiences of hallucinations in daily life, I've been recently reading and, and looking into experiences of people with bereavement. Mm. And there the literature is saying that way over half of people who are bereaved, if you ask them, will say that they have what's often referred to as a sensed presence. They sense the presence of their deceased loved one. Um, which is essentially an hallucination because they're perceiving that person to be present even though they're not. Mm. It's happening and it's real. It's intruding into their daily life. So, you know, in, in those characteristics we talked about earlier, they're all there. So that in formal sense qualifies as an hallucinatory type experience. And they're happening in, yeah, way more than half of people who have bereavement. But again, they typically don't talk about it, even though, in fact, in bereavement, it's probably the rule rather than the exception, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like, what is this strange world that we're in that we are so fearful and stigmatizing of these experiences that people well, are not talking about them? I had the sense listening, uh, as I was listening to you earlier in this conversation, that, let me just run this past you. If these are naturally occurring human phenomena, mm -hmm. right? And look, I wasn't around in this time, but um, you know, it's easy to chuck out the example that you know when we were in a more magical, mythical, tribal basis, that the guy who heard voices and stuff was connected to something way bigger than the rest of us, and so therefore was revered. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. As we've moved into a more, you know, since the 17th century, a more, you know, post-enlightenment rationalized view of the world where, you know, we measure things and we become more objective. Um, that these naturally occurring human phenomena have, have almost stayed still, but our sense-making and meaning-making has changed. And, and given the focus on, on consistency, repetition, measuring, science mm -hmm. um, and science methodology that that now that sort of internal thing is is now at odds with that and hence it you know and, and as we society culture move mm. with that mm. our sense making of it has gone from being revered to yeah he's a nut job <laughs> I don't know yeah look that that's that that's the line between when you're, when you're asking someone about their hallucinatory experiences, it is about finding out, is this something that is culturally accepted? Hmm. And is it something that is causing distress that pushes it into the area where you might need to see an external yeah. person to, to get help hmm. or, or not? Because yes. there, there are lots of um, different cultural groups, for example, where having those sorts of experiences would be considered very much the positive yeah. and, and just part of, um, part of life's journey, mm. if you like. So, yeah, I guess I, I do, I understand what you're saying. It, it's, yeah, it's about realizing that hallucinations do cover such a broad church mm. with lots of different causal pathways in yes. to what's led to people having that. Is it because there is, if you like, a background disorder like schizophrenia? Is it because someone has had um, maybe drug-induced experiences? Yeah, psychedelic drugs, something like that. And is it because they've got other social problems that are happening in their lives? Mm. And again... <laughs> Oh, it sounds so complicated because it is. There's also never going to be just, it won't ever just be one single like mapping on, you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> so. the question I would love to ask you is, right, 
Okay, so given your broad experience, do you have any sense of the uh, of what would be sort of mega macro mechanics and dynamics that bring these about, or is it so varied and phenomenal? Look, I I really would say here this is a case where there are just so many varied factors coming together. So you have you have people who have eye disease, for example, who will mm. end up having what's called Charles Bonnet syndrome which is visual hallucinations and yes. they often present in a in a fairly specific way where it's it's much more clearly tied to the visual loss that's going on yes and you will have people who as i've just said have had a bereavement and they're experiencing the presence of their loved one who's died so it it's about understanding within that there are those specific causal triggers that have mm. led to the experience. Mm. But then how you interpret it is perhaps the more common thing as to why people who have got visual loss, who have had a bereavement, or who have got schizophrenia, if you're interpreting those in a particularly unhelpful mm. way or amplifying the negative side of it, those are the common factors that also contribute to the experience that can also be the things that you can target in therapy. Mm. Does that mm. make sense? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It, I guess it's, you know, as, as we discussed before and as regular listeners will uh, know with the way I think and ask questions is... I, I, I like, I, there's a big systems thinking part of me that likes to really blow out to a macro level and see if there are yeah. commonalities at a meta level across the different f phenomena. Mm. And, and particularly now I've, I've been diving into uh, integral theory and integral framework of trying to, so it gives me stuff to be able to walk around and ask questions from different angles and understand what I am doing now. So from the internal singular experience to the objective singular experience, and then how do we culturally look at this? And then is there a bigger systems part to this? So those four sort of areas. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, it's fun to look at it from lots of yeah. different ways. Yeah. Going back in to that individual experience again, um, do you have a sense of how, because if, if we go back to normal everyday Joe, um, how someone can begin to live with, um, develop a relationship with, draw benefit from, um, and, and even legitimise, we'll get to normalise later, yeah. legitimise within themselves. Yeah what is going on in this internal yeah. phenomenon? Um, <laughs> there's going to, again, be so many yeah. individual responses to that, but the, the thing that probably stands out for people who incorporate them as a valued and positive part of who they are... Yeah. It, captures elements of them being willing to agree that it is part of who they are and therefore yeah. there's no, in that sense, no dissonance, no sense of challenge or threat mm. to who they are. And how they're interpreting the experience is positive so that they're saying in broad terms, um, this is this is an important, it, it, this is a, I don't like the word message, but this, this experience is telling me something that is important to me. Yes. And I need to be mindful of that and I need to sit and think about what it is that mm. that might be telling me. And so they, in, in understanding the meaning that they attach to that experience, they incorporate that into their sense of self. Yes. So, I mean, and the simple example would be that they have an experience and they're saying, well, you know, this means that I have, um, you know, a sense of creativity about the world and that I'm open to new experiences. Yeah. And 
And that is something I value for me as a person is that I don't see that this is necessarily a conflictual situation. It's just a different way of thinking about the world. Yes. And so if they're having an experience and they're creating a positive appraisal in that sense and it all becomes part of their sense of, oh, I'm an open to new experiences type person, yeah. then it enhances their sense of self and, yeah. and there is no conflict. And so they just go about experiencing it and it's yeah. like, oh, well, okay. That's... And I guess that takes a quite a degree of self-acceptance and, yeah. and confidence to own it, yep. for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are just there are just so many yeah. varieties of experience there, and and interestingly, we tend not to really do an awful lot of research on those positive experiences. No, that's for not. obvious reasons. In that, you know, the government dollar is shy on giving to mental health research anyway, and so you should, as a priority, put your money into investing in things where it's going to help people who are really needing help. Yeah, down the blunt end of... But I do think... This could lead yeah, to, yeah, it's, that, that, that it know. might inform treatment. You yeah, know, yeah, because, yeah. Because clearly there's a priority and a yeah, need and for then, that. Yeah, and then prevent really nasty outcomes like people acting on the voice that says burn the house down. Yeah. The, the, the risk, though, in, in that is that in not spending mm. at least a little portion of time in understanding those more positive experiences is that they may capture some of the keys that we then need to apply yeah, to, unlock <laughs> to, to, down here. to understanding. It may, yeah. it may even, I'm going out on a limb here, it may even by not spending the time and to legitimize and normalize this naturally occurring human phenomenon you know, because we're talking about, you know, the, the inner depths of your own interior experience, um, which you can talk to other people about, but you've got to navigate yourself. Mm. But, but nobody gives you the manual to that. So yeah. you do go outside to talk to people. And if there's no one to talk to, mm. then that can create your own little neurosis, anxiety thing that's going on, which could then, you know, over a period of 10, 20, 30 years, down that other end of the spectrum, <laughs> yeah, yes. you know, yeah. on a yeah. on a you know in, increasing chronic levels. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus, so you know, th and there's a woo part of me that goes, this may also be your great guidance to great, amazing things in life. If if this voice is telling you stuff that you know is part of creativity and beyond the thinking that you normally yeah. do of everyday life. Look, and there are probably. A large number of people out there who just have these experiences and they're fleeting you know mm. they just have them maybe once maybe twice in their whole lifetimes yeah um, and they pass them off as really n not being particularly significant and that's the end of it so we we still know very little about the natural life course the frequency of the positive end of the spectrum if you like Mm. Um, but yeah, there are all yeah. gradations in between. I mean, I mean, as another example, I'm a tinnitus sufferer. I have bilateral tinnitus, wow. and yeah. it's a form of hallucination. You know, I'm hearing as we speak. You know, I've got these blessed buzzing sounds in both ears, but you're not hearing them. No, there is no external sound buzz. that's that's creating the buzz in my ears. It's an hallucination. It's a simple one. Um, and even on that kind of experience, there are people who find them incredibly distressing. And again, you know, there are now cognitive behavioural talking therapy help for people with distressing tinnitus. <laughs> mm -hmm. And others find ways of accommodating to that and just mm. accepting that it's there and it's not going to change. Mm. So, it, yeah, there's just an enormous range of mm. experience to these. I guess the thing that jumps out amongst many is even the lack of normalization to be able to just have this conversation. Absolutely. It's, it's really, you know, really... For, for all the government required yeah. research dollars, one would hope that even just you and I having this conversation, yeah. which is, you know, relatively everyday person speaking to an expert about an internal 
phenomenon yep. and, and then you know yeah and the fact that it happened yeah means that for anybody listening to this who's not right down the end of needing to come to perth voices clinic can just go yeah that's, that's good i can just breathe. just knowing that they're happening i can give another more personal example. So my dad has Alzheimer's disease. He's, he's back in the UK, or at least he's certainly got dementia. It's probably Alzheimer's. And my mum's his full-time carer. And of late, dad has started having visual hallucinations. Right. And he's talking to mum, and I talk to mum every night on, you know, FaceTime. And so she's asking me, well, what, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> As they say, where's the beef? Yeah. Um, and she's found it really helpful just to know, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. You know, people with dementia will sometimes have these kinds of experiences. Yeah. And you don't need to panic. Yes. You know, it, that, that's been the signal lesson for mum and I dare say for perhaps a lot of carers. Yeah. Yep. That's going to happen. It's just part of what's going on as, as the dementia is kicking in into the brain and it's changing how, you know, the neural circuitry is working. It's going to be one of those things that triggers often visual hallucinations, but other touch, yep. gustatory, you know. Mm. But you don't need to panic. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh my goodness, right now, you know, I'm going to have to send this person off into residential care and so on, which sadly a lot of the literature does say yeah. you know it's caused so much actually carer distress yeah that that's prompted them to talk to services and the next minute they've been placed in a nursing home or residential facility now that could be an appropriate step for some but by no means is it obligatory mm. for all mm. and to be able to talk to families and carers especially, to say, yes, it's part of this overall profile and there are ways you can talk to the person with dementia to help calm them so that they don't get upset about that experience, but nor, nor also to trivialise the experience, because for them it is real, mm. because we do believe our senses. I keep yeah, coming yeah. back to that, that's right? That's how we navigate. Yeah, that's, you know, per perceiving is believing. And so I think we've still got such an, a lot to do to, in this sense, normalise the experience in the sense of talking to people mm. generally so that they have a much broader understanding of how frequent these experiences are and that they are manageable. And that comes back to also we need better training of our mental health professionals. Mm. And that steps back to Perth Voices Clinic because when we conceived of this, and I say we, when Georgie conceived of this and we kind of put this story together, it was not just about providing a psychological service, though that was the core. It was about also connecting that to doing research and evaluation to improve the treatments available, but also to involve a teaching and an educational component. Mm. So at the clinic, there are placement opportunities for students, mostly um, psychologists in training, because we're both psychologists. Yep. But we really felt very committed to that need as well, that you need to be educating the future workforce mm -hmm. about these experiences. Mm. And then I suppose there is another bit, which is, Provided some education to those people who are supporting the people who are going through it. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then the next step is. Yeah. Well, of course, if, that, if yeah. we had lots of funding, then we'd be doing well, all indeed. of those things. <laughs> indeed. indeed. But um, it, it's, it's interesting because, yeah. um, as, as a background at this point in time, um, I and three others are doing a small little research project into what we're calling spiritual or psychological awakenings. Uh huh. Um, where people may go to like breath work or meditation retreats or yoga or maybe psychedelic experiences or we're even finding you know people who just brush with life mm -hmm. and then it's changed something within them and 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 it, and, it, and it's broken open their sense making of the world to, 
to move to somewhere else and then mm -hmm. often people are one of the sentences that keeps coming out is you know i can't look at the at the world the way i did before mm -hmm. but the the biggest thing after after spending half an hour talking to people about this just so we can listen and learn to the language and some of the patterns that might go on is 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 again this normalization of often people say to us you know this was a really not that this felt like it had to happen and it's a normal thing but i've had nobody to talk to about this mm. you're the first person brain or whoever's out the yeah. three others are helping it helping yeah. you with this is that i've never been able to sit and just talk about yeah yeah and again i have a sense that that thing is a naturally occurring human phenomenon and if if someone went and presented straight away it might be considered a psychotic event or this that and the other and mm. the other. but what we're finding is that they are transitory they they're lasting between you know, two and for some two weeks, some two months, yep. but they come out of it and yep. then ground back into the world and, yep. and, and, and something has changed and something is different. Yeah. And we, yeah, we need to give a bit more space to understanding that kind of progression. So there's a, a really amazing TED talk by Eleanor Longdon, right. who is a psychologist as well, but in her younger days, she had hallucinatory experiences. Yeah and she wondered whether she should tell anyone and in the end she did and she ended up going into a psychiatric facility with all sorts of diagnoses and she's describing her journey of the lack of listening capacity for want of a better description mm. of the service providers that she came in contact with because it took her a while to be able to open up to talk to someone about it. But then, in a sense, that conversation got closed down because there was an in instant assumption about what it signified. Yeah. That led to a, a very, yes, it we led to a that. very specific route mm. in her mental health journey. And I do think we need to be that little bit more cautious about leaping to any conclusion about what it may or may not signify mm. just on the basis of having an hallucination, mm. certainly. Yeah, Yeah, it sort of raises, um, probably a, this could be a whole other podcast, which is the trajectory of psychology, psychiatry currently mm. against the naturally occurring phenomenon that we incur through our journey through life mm. it strikes me and i'm at okay i i did the degrees in psychology but i've not done the mega research and i've not done the mega sitting with clients but i've done my own thing in that sometimes it strikes me that there's almost like this like you said you've presented this so this means this and and so therefore we need to treat you with as opposed to a calmness around okay so let's look at anything yeah. that's going on and is it surprising that this thing has occurred or yeah is is this is this um you know, for a while i i i particularly interviewed people between the ages of 37 38 and 42 43 and there started to be parallels in that area of what we call midlife crisis or alignment <laughs> or yeah. whatever you want to call it mm. And, and yeah, so I just wonder sometimes whether there's a growing gap between the two. Mm. You know, sometimes I liken it between if a lady was giving birth, what, what is the experience like if a doctor's present as opposed to if just the midwife yeah. who work with the lady and the body as yeah. opposed to always looking for something to be wrong. Yeah. Pathology. Look, we're, we're all subject to our yeah, yeah. biases including our professional biases yeah, yeah. so you know i guess inevitably if you have these sorts of experiences and rock up to someone from the more medical professional side they are going to look at this experience through that lens yes yeah. um i hope it's probably a big hope <laughs> yeah that if if you were to present that same picture to someone from a psychological background 
that maybe they would take a slightly different approach and at least take mm. a view to not just what might be going on, if you like, biologically, but what might be going on in that person's life. You know, yeah. have they had stressors? Have yes. they had something unusual happen that may be accounting for or at least contributing to why this person is having this experience now hmm. and, and what that signifies? Yeah, yeah. What's happened? Yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> so this also leads into some of the other work you've been doing around loneliness. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to tell me about that? <laughs> well, again, as, as I mentioned before, you know, how... The long and winding road. The long and winding road of, of how you get from A to Z. Um, the experience of psychotic-like symptoms, like hallucinations. Yep. I had mostly been trying to get out what were the causal processes involved, particularly about how you think about it. But of course, there's lots of other literature looking mm. at what the biological causes were. And a whole heck of a lot less on what were the social factors going mm. on that might contribute to these sorts of experiences. And a few years ago now, I got to collaborate with Professor Vera Morgan at UWA. And we started rummaging around in the national survey data on psychosis. So mm. Vera had been the lead of that project on the National Survey of Psychotic Disorders. And they happened to have within that survey some data on social functioning and in particular social isolation and loneliness. Right. And so we had a look at the association between experiencing social isolation and loneliness and the experience of psychotic disorders mm. and found a very strong and, and striking link between the two. So the, at this point, we'll have this little hiatus to say, okay, what is this distinction between social isolation and loneliness? Because yes. again, that's something that tends to get confused. So social isolation refers typically to the objective state of lacking social connection with other people. Yes. So it's having a small social network, possibly nobody, <laughs> maybe yeah. only one other person that you interact with routinely. So that's an objectively defined characteristic. Yes. Or it's a lack of frequency of contacting other people. So again, an objective state of being most extreme being that you live alone and lonely, uh, alone life. Yeah. You may or may not be lonely. Yes. Because loneliness, again, refers to the subjective experience mm -hmm. of feeling disconnected from other people. So you may be alone and lonely, or you actually could be surrounded by other people, people but still feel lonely. Feel lonely in a crowd. Right. So although the two are you know, kind of related in that they talk about your experience of social relationships, they are mm. different. So what I was interested in was specifically the, the subjective element, the association of loneliness and psychotic disorders and okay. psychotic symptoms. So since then, we've done quite a few other studies in that space, but I've been particularly interested in that connection between whether loneliness could be something, if you like, that helps to offset the sense of being disconnected from other people and that that might be a trigger to why you're having hallucinatory experiences mm. because the idea that had been put forward was that the hallucinations, when, it, when they do involve other people and other voices, they're actually fulfilling a need, a gap that's missing in your social world. Yes. So if you're lonely, you have these hallucinatory phenomena that fills that need for connection with other people. By creating voices. By creating voices and other. To and listen to, yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, that that sounds like a a manufactured explanation and, and there are undoubtedly lots of holes in it. So for example, it's not at all clear why if you're lonely, the majority of hallucinations that are really bothersome are quite derogatory. So why would you generate, you know, an hallucination? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, why not generate it, your best mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so clearly, you know, it, it's a 
flawed or, or at best primitive mm. explanation as a, as a causal connection between the two. Nonetheless, the data do seem to show a that there is a strong correlation, and of course, it could be and that correlations don't mean cause. Absolutely, that well they don't they degrees. don't mean causation at all, and undoubtedly, these affect each other in both directions. Yeah. Um, mm. But there's a little bit of evidence coming to pass now where you are seeing loneliness arising first, and then later the hallucinatory type experiences. And that's mm. slightly stronger evidence that the one is contributing to the experience of the other mm. in a more causal direction. <laughs> so we've still got lots to do in that direction. Anyway, the point being, I had started doing a lot of work in that space of what is the connection between loneliness and psychosis and what kind of effects does it have? And it turns out that you know, people who are lonely have also worse cardiovascular function and that also occurs in people with psychotic disorders. In fact, loneliness is really a beast. I mean, it's such a stressor. The, the stronger your friend network, the greater are the, 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 you, your life expectancy. Absolutely, yeah. And, and if that's like yeah, yeah. back to cardiovascular. It, it, this is really basic. This is about loneliness being a fundamental issue and being connected is a basic human need. Mm. And of course now with coronavirus and all of the physical yeah. distancing measures, you know, that, that are being used by the government, this is a particularly big stressor to feel that you're socially disconnected mm. from the world around you. Mm. But the literature definitely shows that if you're very lonely, it can reduce your longevity. It has um, links to poor physical health like diabetes, glucose, poor sleep, um, compromised respiratory function, poor immune function, you name it. Yeah. Because it's such a major stressor, it also links to poor mental health. It links to poor workplace performance, poor mm. educational performance, mm. the whole gamut. gamut yeah. So through all of that, I had been talking with colleagues over east um, especially Michelle Lim at Swinburne Uni. And she was in the process of setting up what was then called the Australian Coalition to End Loneliness yep. and is now called Ending Loneliness Together. Mm. And so I've been um, working with that team for the last several years now. And in fact, we're hoping to have our launch webinar at the end of November. So it's cool. taken a long time to get this whole initiative going mm. and we've got lots of fabulous organisations coming together behind us. So we've got um, Way Ahead and Uniting Care and Relationships Australia. And, you know, so we've got more and more organisations joining us because mm. they're recognising the importance of loneliness and how um, impactful its consequences are mm. across all sectors, really. Mm. And so. again, that's fascinating because... Um, so since meeting through the podcast, a gentleman called Paul Holiday, I've been invited to be on the board of something called the Human Excellence Projects Project. And even at its basic, every single day, um, Paul created this group, which people are free to come to. It's first thing in the morning, so it's like you know, quarter five, six o'clock, something like that. Everyone greets each other with a hug, even if you've never met anyone before. Um, and Paul tells very funny stories about, you know, sometimes people stand on the periphery and, and won't come and join him until the hugging's finished. Because <laughs> um, it's just a bit too much. That's a bit But much. he says they start getting closer and closer and closer. And, and, it, and he can break hugs down into like seven or eight different types as yeah. well. You know, bear hugs and yeah. glancing in hugs and stuff. Yeah. But then um, sometimes... The typology of hugs, I like the that. The typology of hugs, yes. He's, he's a master of it. Um, sometimes they might do a bit of breathwork meditation. That's not every morning. Mm. But then they'll all um, stick their causes and bodies on, dip into the ocean together, just get wet, yep. out the state, da-da-da-da, then get changed, go and have a cup of tea, chat about life, and that's the start of their day. Yeah. So if you think about what you're talking about, yeah. you know, that's high Building quality. social connections yeah, of that's high, high quality, quality. Yeah. high quality contact yeah. with others yeah. at the start of your day yeah. regularly. 
Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's ending loneliness right there, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's so simple. It can be, definitely. And it's about people who are not lonely helping in this mix as well. Because a lot of these initiatives, yeah. like, like often happens in the sort of men mental illness space, it's almost as if the onus of responsibility always lies with the person affected yes. by the symptom or the illness, or They're in this case, it. loneliness. Whereas in fact, I don't think that's the right way to think of it at all. This mm. is a community responsibility because we're all part of our community. Yes. It's, it's about, yes, them, hopefully, if they can, reaching out. But it is about people who are not currently lonely reaching in mm. to help because Leave we're all going to go through open. these cycles all through our lives. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is about helping each other out, you know, to have that, um, that nod, hello, you know, how are you doing? As, just as you're walking past people in the street, mm. that kind of connection can actually be really meaningful to someone who's had a really, you know, pardon the description, a really crap day. And, you yeah. know, they're feeling shockingly lonely all the time. They don't get to talk to anybody. Yeah. But that nod and hello from the stranger in the street or from, you know, the person mm. at the store can make all the difference in the world to that person's life and can yeah. sometimes even be the first stepping stone yeah. to them walking out of loneliness and back yeah. into more regular connections. Mm. And we're not talking here about <laughs> phrase that I used before we started this, you know, that, that hand-wringing virtue signaling of be a good citizen and, you know, all you need to do. This is just about being a basic good human, isn't yeah. it? That's right. And do you know there's no cost to this, right? No. This is just so easy yeah. to do. It was interesting. And think about, the, also, this is what I think about sometimes, because I had this thing in, for a little while where I did what I called guerrilla smiling, uh, which is where I would either sit on a train or something like that. If I spat, spotted someone with a glum face, I'd just smile at them Yeah. Uh, to force them to smile back. And it's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I called it gorilla smiling. It was a good, good little experiment. But um, part of the thinking behind that was, well, crikey, if I'm having a bad day and, and I lived in a community where somebody gorilla smiled me, mm. and that and, and and it broke my state. Yep. That's a great community to be in. Yeah. Because I'm not an island. I don't live on my own. Well, it's it's also just recognition that, you know, for loneliness, certainly, it's something we're all going to go through. I mean, mm. I don't know that anybody will go through their whole life without having at least a short spell of feeling a bit on mm. the outer and a bit lonely. And so it doesn't take any great brains to think. No, it doesn't. Maybe, it doesn't. maybe we could be kind to other people along our journey and help them back in when yeah. they're feeling like that. But for people who end up chronically lonely, they... You know, again, there, there is quite a lot of evidence that they're almost pushed to the outer of society. You know, they're pushed to the perimeters of the social networks. Yeah. And that's a much harder place to get back in from. Yeah. You know, so it's not tough. Just, you know, put the iPod down or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And as you say, smile or say hello or even, you know, gosh maybe initiate a conversation, conversation. with someone. With a random um, stranger. Yeah. It's not transactional. Yeah, that just just helps you step back into that. And I do wonder if maybe we used to do that a little bit more in the past and we, we're just less practised at it now. Yeah. Um, well, there's another gateway to another whole conversation about... Um, handheld devices and social media. <laughs> yeah, look, and I'm, I'm certainly not anti you know, devices and so on. Yeah. Um, it's about how they're used. But, that, the that, but if it's at the detriment of this, like... But that's proper... about how they're used. So if, yeah. if they're going to be used, you know, you're plugged in 24-7 and you, you're, you know, getting rid of your mm. external contact, then that's, that's yeah. problematic. Clearly they have their place and yeah. their value, but... Mm. Um, but we do need to use them mindfully. What have you learned about yourself on this journey? <laughs> oh goodness, what have I learned about myself? Um, 
Hmm. Well, on on a basic level, how fortunate my life has been. I mean, just incredibly lucky to have a loving home, a loving upbringing, fabulous family, you know, all of the things that make a good life. Yeah. And therefore... I'm probably being acutely aware of it through your work. Well, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Brushing up against but, areas but, where that's but, not... But therein also, life's not just about what you get, it's what you give. Mm, <laughs> you know, mm. so giving back, like in helping those that you can, not necessarily through, you know, a professional capacity, but just being kind to people and making a bit of time in your day to give yeah. back. Yeah. Mm. The last question I ask all my guests. Yes is if you could upload one question into the collective consciousness, <laughs> so everyone had to sit still for five or 10 minutes and just consider it, mm. what would that be? What sparked your interest today? Mm. Well, if we do things that are routine and always the same, that that to me would be boring and yeah. you would you would lose your motivation to continue so it's all about finding what's the next thing that's interesting and that you haven't maybe thought about and yeah mm. sparking that curiosity for the next step mm. just kind of feel what you've done <laughs> a little bit yeah. hopefully there's more to come indeed <laughs> Joe, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you today. It's been a pleasure. It's been amazing to really dive into something which, again, for me, has been previously stigmatised. Um, you know, people hearing voices, must be yeah. yeah. Um, but to really um, go into the difference between sort of the objective and the subjective, and then to go further into that, um, because there seems to be growing theme in the podcast at the moment about holding the space that's non-judgmental for people to explore their actual interiors mm. because it's it turns out it's not as wild and wacky as everybody thinks it is and it's not as scary I just think sometimes we don't normalize the discussion and therefore we we starve ourselves of necessary tools yeah for exploring this rich world yeah that's within as well as without. Yeah, that we don't need to be fearful about having a chat with people about these things because that's part of being human. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. If people want to reach out and find you, where can they find you? Through the UWA? Yep. Yep, through email contact there. Superb. Yeah. Joe, thank you very much for your time.